Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. Good morning. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and if you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you, and it'll be on page 944, looking at a passage from the book of Romans. As we close out our sermon series, Death to Life, I want to investigate once again the nature of sin, but not from a separation standpoint but from a different standpoint, from a, what I'm going to call a power standpoint. We have seen over the last several weeks, and I want to just thank Nate. I think Nate has done an amazing job the last three weeks, walking us through separation from uh, ourselves and from creation. But as we have on the screen on the next slide, we have this understanding that what sin does is at its core, it separates us from God. And because we are separated from God, then we are separated from ourselves. We're not right with ourselves. We feel anger. We feel sadness. We feel depression. We feel anxiety. We feel fear and guilt and shame. And because we don't know how to deal with that, our sin then causes disruption with others. We take our guilt and our shame and our anger out on others so that our relationships with God, ourselves, and others are not right until finally we come to see that the world that we have been given to be rulers over is now, in a sense, vying and fighting against us. And so sin is this deep separation that happens. And as much as we believe that, I want to talk about the power of each one of those separations. That each one of those separations has a deep power associated with it. In light of that, I ask this question, how much has sin affected you? Do you see yourself basically as a pretty good person who has some struggles? Or maybe you're on the other side of the the equation. Maybe you see yourself as a completely worthless person who has no hope and everything you do is sinful and wrong and maybe you have a small glimmer of hope. Or do you see yourself as a seasoned Christian who's been around Christianity in the church for a long time and as someone who thinks to themselves, I need to stop indulging in the things of the world and the things of the flesh. I need to stop listening and watching Netflix so much. I need to stop hanging out with my wrong friends. I need to stop doing wrong, making wrong choices. I need to start filling my mind with good things, with good friends, with Bible Along these lines, there's like this old illustration, this old adage that there's like a dog chained to a pole. And on each side of that pole, there's food. And in one bowl of food is called the flesh, and on the other side of the pole is a bowl of food called the spirit or the Bible. And so the old illustration went is, whichever, as a dog, that sounds mean that I'm calling you a dog. I'm calling myself a dog too. It's just the illustration I've always used. I don't know why. But the, the idea is that whatever you feed on, whichever bowl you feed on, that's what your life is going to look like. You ever heard that before? Is that how you view your life? 
How do you view the power of sin in your life? And what I want to say this morning is this, is that sin is far more serious and it is far more powerful than we give it credit. The power in all of those alienations of sin over us is severe. In fact, it's so great, it's so severe that we, in and of ourselves, cannot overcome it. We see this understanding that we cannot overcome it in the great theological treatise of the Lord of the Rings. The ring personifies the evil, and once it grabs hold of you, even with good people, its power grows. And if you know anything about the movie, the whole movie is to take this ring to Mordor and to throw the ring back into the place where it was made so that evil could be defeated. And at the end of the story, it's interesting, Tolkien, the author, writes about Frodo's failure. I mean, we think of that story and who's the hero. Some people think it's Samwise. Some people think it's Frodo. And some people debate who the, who the real hero of the story is. But I want you to think of it this way, that Tolkien reflects that that power of evil in the world, the ring, in the end, cannot be defeated by the characters in the story, however good they may be. How does the ring actually get destroyed? Through an accident, right? Through Gollum, biting the ring off of Frodo's finger and falling into Mount Doom. And in the end... Frodo couldn't even defeat the power. Sam couldn't defeat the power. Aragorn couldn't defeat the power. And why does Tolkien demonstrate that? Because he understands the power of sin in our lives. That no matter how good we are, no matter if we think we're Frodo, or we think we're Sam, or we think we're Aragorn, you can't destroy the evil. And this power is demonstrated in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read, starting in verse 5, this is page 944 again, if you're following along, Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Because to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, my brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This morning I want to look at four points 
from Romans chapter 8, what we just read about the power of sin in our life, to see the power of God's amazing grace. So, Father, help us as we, in a sense, finish this series on sin to understand the power and the nature and the reality of sin, but to then to come and to see how amazing the power and the life and the grace that invades our life. So when we leave here this morning, we will not look to our righteousness, not look to more our moral efforts, not to our good works, but we would turn our eyes completely to Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Point number one in Romans chapter 8 is we need to understand that there's two realms. Two different realms. I don't know if you saw that as we kept reading through that. There's two things that are continually being contrasted. The flesh and the spirit. And what Paul is talking about here are two... uh, We had a... An Assemblies of God theologian died a month ago. His name is Gordon D. Fee, and he is an amazing theologian. I don't agree with everything he has, but he uses these big words, and I'll explain them. But these two realities of flesh and death are two power spheres. They're not two dog bowls of food. They're two completely different realms And Paul describes these two realms as the flesh and the spirit. And if you set your mind on the flesh, you live according to the flesh. And if you set your mind on the spirit, you live according to the spirit. The outcome of the life of the realm of the flesh is death. And we'll talk more about that in a few moments. And the outcome of the realm of the spirit is life. And interestingly, you would think he would just stay life because he contrasts life and death, but he then adds this interesting phrase, and peace, that the outcome of a life lived in the Spirit is peace with God and the peace of God being with us. And Paul talks about living in these two realms, and he has this idea of your mind being set according to these two realms. And what he's talking about is like a lifestyle that characterizes who you are. That if you live and if your mind is set according to this realm, you live in this realm, this realm dictates all that you are. Whereas if you live in the realm of the spirit, you are now being dominated and controlled by this realm. You are living and your mindset is what Paul is after. So first of all, to understand this, Paul is not talking about making a good choice where you honor God and that means you live in the spirit. Then the next moment you lie to your kid and that means you're now in the flesh. Paul is talking about two very different worlds. And I think I have on the screen the next slide. Nate gave it away last week, but six more minutes has passed and you got circles. Okay, and you see these two worlds. That first circle, the world of the flesh, is the world of Adam, the world that was created, that Adam lost in his rebellion against God, that is now being ruled and governed by Satan. And if you are not in Christ, you belong to that realm. 
And if you are a follower of Jesus and you have put your trust in Jesus and you now have been transferred out of the realm of the flesh and now find yourself in the realm of the Spirit. There are two realms at work here. So please understand, these are not choices that you make. These are realms in which you live. Number two, these two realms are absolute. These verses describe the absolute power of each realm. Paul, in this passage, highlights more the power of the realm of the flesh. And he does that, in a sense, silently, subconsciously, for you to understand the exact opposite, the antithesis of life in the spirits. The power of sin in the flesh are absolute. They are total. The power of sin and the power in the realm of the flesh is not partial and fragmented. In other words, the power of sin thoroughly enslaves those who belong to its realm. Sin has radically corrupted our nature so that it infects as a parasite, as Nate mentioned, every aspect of who we are and what we do. Sometimes we refer to this idea of something called total depravity. You ever heard that phrase? Total depravity means in your depraved life, in your unregenerate life outside of Christ, you are completely and wholly affected by the power of sin and the realm of the flesh. Charles Spurgeon on the next slide says this, as the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It is so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if you cannot detect it, you are deceived. Sin is like the salt in the Atlantic Ocean. It's in there. It's everywhere. And sometimes you actually have to jump into the ocean and get it on your lips to be reminded of it. And this is what Spurgeon is after, that it takes sometimes we forget how salty, how, the, how much sin has actually affected us. Now, I don't sound like a very health and wealth guy right now, do I? Why can Paul say this? Well, if you look in Romans chapter 8, he says that you are, number one, you are hostile towards God. The Greek word here denotes like you're in a state of enmity with someone. You're in a state of being an enemy of someone. You're in a state of being in hatred towards someone. That if you belong to the realm of the flesh, you live in enmity, you live in hatred, you live in opposition to the God of the realm of the spirits. So I want us to be clear here, there's no neutrality. You don't live in the middle. You are hostile towards God if you live in the realm of the flesh. But then Paul goes on to say this, is that not only are you unwilling but you are actually unable to obey God. If you look at what he says, it says, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Paul highlights two things, your unwillingness and your inability. It's not just that you don't want to honor God. It's not that you just don't want to please God. It's actually that you can't. 
Do you, do you see that? That's not me trying to be mean. That's not me trying to say you're awful. That is the nature of who we are in Adam, that the power and the realm of the flesh and the sin is so strong that you don't want that realm. Even if you did, you couldn't get there. You are unwilling and you are unable to actually transfer realms. These two realms are absolutes. So that Paul can actually go on to say, to make a blanket summary statement, the person in the flesh cannot please God. You do not have the ability to please God. We speak of this concept of not being able to please God, not being able to choose God, as the idea of spiritual inability because the powers of sin are absolute and it corrupts and depraves every aspect of our nature, we are incapable of producing any spiritual good. And I mean by that two things, and these are on the screen. Number one, the unregenerate cannot do or say or think that which meets with God's approval. If you think about that, the person who lives in the realm of the flesh, the nicest and the best thing they do does not earn or merit or meet with God's approval. That is what spiritual inability is actually saying. This is what Paul is highlighting in this passage, that they cannot please God. Number two, we're saying this, that because man is totally corrupt, he is incapable of changing his character, or enacting in a way that is distinct from his corruption. What I mean by that is, you live in this realm. So you live according to the laws of this realm. You live according to the nature of this realm. Which means you can't choose to live according to the nature of a different realm. Here's the dumb example. Okay? I'm not Spider-Man. I can't climb on walls. But you know who can climb on walls? Spiders. You know why? That's their nature. That's how God has made them. That is how God designed them. I can't decide I just want to go fly like a bird. You know why? Because I'm not a bird. I live according to my nature. I live according to what humans are. And what we have found out throughout our entire series is that what humans are is that they belong to Adam. They have inherited his sinful traits. And now all of our life is infected by this sin, this power that is absolute over our lives so that we can do nothing to please God in and of ourselves. And we have no ability to get ourselves out of this situation. I thought the Bible was supposed to be happy. It is. Because here's the beauty. Is that you have all the ability now to follow Jesus because someone came and rescued you. See, you have, in a sense, I love this phrase, the only thing you bring to your salvation is your sin. God does everything else for you. And the idea, again, that we are so sinful that we can do nothing. We need the Spirit of God to draw us. We need God to give us life. We need God to come and rescue us. And this is what He has done in the person of Jesus. 
I mean, just look at how the scriptures portray us. On the next slide, it says, None of us have sought after God. Our understanding has been darkened. Our mind is hostile towards God. Our will indulges the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Our heart is deceitfully wicked. In our flesh dwells no good thing. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins. We've all gone our own way. We could never please God. We were in the power of darkness. We never sought after God. We were spiritually dead. We were all suppressing the truth. We knew the truth, but we rejected it. There was no fear of God in our eyes. We fulfilled the desires of the flesh and we were children of wrath. Here's just a sampling of how the Bible describes the power of absolute sin over our lives. Now, let's say a couple things about this concept of total depravity. Number one, it does not mean that every being is as thoroughly wicked as he can possibly become. Does that make sense? Not every person is Jeffrey Dahmer. Not every person is the worst person we've ever met in human history. So not every person is as thoroughly depraved as they could possibly become. We're not saying that unregenerate people who don't follow Jesus do not have a conscience. These are up on the screen, right? Yes, thank you. Number three, that does not mean that they'll indulge in every kind of conceivable sin. This is why Christianity is so crazy. You may have a neighbor who does not claim to follow Jesus and might actually be more moral than you are. Because whether you're in with God or out with God, in a sense, does not depend on your morality. Not every unbeliever is out there doing every kind of conceivable sin. And it does not mean that unregenerate people are not able to form acts of kindness that are good in the sight of others. So humans are not as bad as they could be. They have a conscience. They're able to not indulge in every kind of conceivable sin. They're actually able to do random acts of kindness, if you will. But it does mean that apart from the enabling grace of God, our hardness of heart, the rebellion against God is total. Everything we do is sin-tainted. Our inability to submit to God or reform ourselves is absolute. That's what this means, is that the reality that you sit here this morning, and if you belong to Jesus, having the love of the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and fellowship with the Spirit, it's because they have reached out to you and loved you and given you life. You once were confined to that realm of flesh. You didn't want to leave it. You couldn't leave it. And yet God in his love came and rescued you and brought you and brought you into a kingdom, not of darkness, but of life and light, Colossians 1 tells us. You ever wonder why you can sing Amazing Grace and grace isn't amazing? It's because you forget the power of absolute sin over your life. When you see who you are in and of yourself and your complete and abject rejection of everything God in your life and your inability to please Him, and yet God in His love came and rescued you, grace becomes amazing. Number three, not only are there two realms, not only are these realms absolute, but these realms possess different outcomes. Being absolutely depraved means that mankind is eternally worthy, 
and totally deserving of their judgments. Romans 8 calls this death. The mind that is set on the flesh is death. And death is separation. Death is not ceasing to exist. Death means that you, when you die, your inner body is separated from your outer body. Spiritually death, spiritually dead, is that you are spiritually alienated and separated from God. And what Paul says is that your outcome for living in the flesh is eternal separation from God. Look at these passages in Scripture, just again, a couple, and we could spend a lot more on this. But in the next slide, I have Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, that says this, All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following the desires and thoughts, and like the rest, we were, by nature, deserving of wrath. Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death. Why do we deserve this death? Because that's what we get for being sinners. But the gift of God is eternal life. Or 2 Thessalonians 1, which is one of the most... I have a hard time wrapping my, past, my mind around 2 Thessalonians 1. I really do. Paul says this, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. And give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. And when is God going to do this? When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, he, Jesus, will punish those who do not know God, who do not obey the gospel of Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on that day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who believe. This includes you. Because you believed our testimony to you. Here's three passages that speak about the outcome of being in the realm of flesh is death and wrath and being shut out from the presence of God. And maybe you're like me and struggle with this. How does 70 years of sin merit an eternal conscious torment, separation from God? But when we think about it, this is not how judgment and punishment works. That's like saying if you stole from somebody, it only took you, well, if your ocean's 11, three days to rob a bank. So you only get three days of punishment. Or if you commit murder, it only took you 10 seconds to commit murder, should you only get 10 seconds of punishment? Punishment doesn't work by equal timing. So it's not a matter of duration of the crime, but it has to do with the heinousness and the severity of the crime. But not only that, but it also has to do with who you commit the crime against. If you do something to the president of the USA and you do the same thing to me, guess what you're going to get more time for? Me. I'm just kidding. The point is, is that then it's not how much and how long you've done something. It is actually the nature of what you have done and who you have done it against. And scriptures are very clear that your rejection of God is a severe and heinous. It's the most ultimate thing you can do. And you're doing it against the most ultimate person in the world. And so in that sense, God is an infinitely worthy being. A sin against this God is worthy of an infinite punishment, and that should sober us. Paul says, if you continue to live in the realm of the flesh, 
this is your outcome. Whereas if you live in the realm of the Spirit, your outcome is life. Life is not just breathing. Life is being in the presence of God. This is what 2 Thessalonians is. When He comes back, we will be with Him. God is life and we will be with Him. So we experience life, as Paul says in 2 Timothy, life that is truly life. Number four. None of the two realms, none of these realms absolute, none of these realms have absolute differences in outcomes. But these two realms are absolute, and you belong to one of them. I need to make this point so clear that you're going to hear it over and over and over, and you've already heard it. You belong to one of these realms. You do not jump back and forth between these two realms. It is not when you feed and feast on the Spirit, you live in the realm of the Spirit, and when you live and feast on the the bad dog food, you live in the realm of the flesh. Christian, you don't live in the realm of the flesh. You live in the realm of the Spirit. Look at verse 9. Paul says this emphatically. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. But where are you? In the middle? Jumping back and forth? Or where are you? You belong to the realm of the spirits. Does God's spirit live in you? Guess which realm you live in. You live in the realm of the spirits. Galatians chapter 5 says this, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit's. Christian, you don't go back and forth. This is so important for how you think about your life. You live in the realm of the Spirit. This is where you are. That changes Everything about your life, when you are living as if you still belong back there, you come back and say, you know what, I, I don't belong here. I live here. So how do we explain this concept? Because if you're like me, don't you oftentimes feel like you just keep jumping back and forth between these two realms? Don't you feel like, man, I need to stop feasting on friends and start feasting on, I don't, I, I don't have a good example. Lord of the Rings. We need to start doing more things right, and I need to stop living over... No, you live in one realm. And so when we begin to feel that we are in the realm of the flesh, or we're still dealing with our besetting sins, what do we do? Well, number one, I want to say this. Apart from our feelings, I'm not trying to tell us to ignore our feelings. You can go back and listen to that. But we need to recognize that you and I have been transferred, freed from this old realm and have been transferred into the new realm of life. When you are acting as if you still lived back there, you need to come back and say, this is not who I am. This is where I belong. I am in the spirits. Number two, after we just mentally begin to get right theology, right thinking, we need to start thinking we are no longer obliged. 
We're no longer required or obligated to obey the power of sin. Through the Spirit, we've been given the rights and the power over that old realm of the flesh, over that old age, which means now that you live in the realm of the Spirit, you have the power of the Spirit's. And as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, I think it's verse 10, you are not obliged. You are no longer required to live as if you are back there. You have the ability to fight sin. You have the ability to please God. You have this deep desire, even though it's not perfect, you want to please God, and you can please God. Right? Number three, because the old realm still exists... Christians may forget which realm we belong to, and for a season may belong to the new realm of life, but act as if they still belong to the old realm. What I'm trying to help us to see is that when you live in your sin, you didn't go back to the old realm. You have just forgotten what the gospel has done for you. This is what Peter says. You have forgotten that you've been purged from your sins. You have forgotten what the good news of the gospel actually does. And repentance happens not when you just stop sinning, but when you come back to this realm of the Spirit and you see the beauty of who Jesus is. You live in the realm of the Spirit, and yet we sometimes, because those two circles still are together, struggle. But we haven't switched realms. We haven't lost our identity as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We haven't lost our ability to please God. Number four. But Paul does provide a warning. In Romans chapter 8, I think it's verse 12. I'm trying to make sure. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. And listen to this warning. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is a warning. That Paul says, if you live according to the flesh, you will experience death. This is not Paul saying you can be rescued from the realm of the flesh and then go back. It's a strong warning to continue to follow Jesus. This is something throughout the New Testament that the warnings are actually the means to accomplish what the warning is going against. What I mean by that is, Paul says, if you keep living this way, you're going to go and experience death. And if you're a Christian, when you understand that natural consequence, that warning moves you to what? Begin to live out who you are. The warning is an, a, a means to get back and living in accordance with where you are and who you are. The ends of that warning is to experience life with God at the consummation of the new realm and the new world when Jesus comes back. That's the ends. What's the means to get you there? Here's one of them. It's the warning. Don't live this way, because if you keep living this way, you're going to experience what that life will become, and that will become a life of death. And when the Christian hears that, the Spirit of God uses that warning to bring him back to live as if he lived in the Spirit's of the realm of the spirits. 
So church, here's the beauty of death to life. And this is massively important that we understand that we're not just separated from God ourselves, each other in the world, but that the powers that undergird all of those alienations and separations are absolute. And yet in and because of Jesus, you have been rescued and transferred and now you have been placed in the realm of the spirits. You have a new home, a new identity, a new kingdom that you belong to. And sometimes, lots of times, we forget that. And why is that so important? I close with this. Here's why this is important. Anyone know what Paul's number one concern for all the churches was? Paul's number one concern for all the churches was unity. You can, I'm not going to go through all this with you today. Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 may be some of the most rich doctrinal content in the New Testament. And when Paul begins to talk about the practical outworkings of that theology, what's the first thing he cares about? Unity. He says in 1 Corinthians, the church that's divided... I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly united in mind and thoughts. Paul says to the church at Philippi, make my joy complete, be like-minded, having the same love, being of the same minds. Put on the virtues of love, which all of them are in perfect unity. I urge you, Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It's unity that Paul wants the church to have. And what does sin do? It separates. Do you see this? That the very essence of sin is separation and the very thing that Paul wants in the church is the opposite of separation to have unity? So why does it matter that we live according to the realm of the Spirit? Because that is where we find unity. And when we don't live in unity, we actually give a wrong picture to the world of what the Christian life is all about. The best witness of the church is its unity and love for one another. And what destroys that unity and that witness is sin. Why are we a church that fights against sin and wants to keep remembering that we don't belong to that old realm, that we belong to the realm of the Spirit? It's because our mission of the church actually depends on it. If we're not a people who fight against the sin and the alienation and the separation and the power of sin that now we have been given authority over, we're not going to be a church that gives a credible witness to Jesus. So yes, we want to fight sin so that we all make it to that new realm, that new consummated world with Jesus. But we want it right now too. You know why? Because it depends, our witness depends on it. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.